We are a citizen organized, a citizen run, a citizen funded initiative. We don't have a single large donor. We're doing this all on our own, almost exclusively by volunteers. We want to start a national dialogue. COVID-19 pandemic has been a unprecedented event as far as Canada, the countries in the world are concerned. The fact that in Canada, people are still afraid. It has not been disclosed uh, to the general public the contents of the uh, material. So in that moment, she framed every unvaccinated person, including her guest on the show, as a danger to public safety. What's interesting also is that nobody can name a single real-world vaccine success story where COVID rates went down at a nursing home or a funeral home after the vax rollout. You're in a cancer clinic and you feel abused by everybody because they didn't want to know you. They wanted to know your mask. They wanted to make personal contact with your mask and that was the horror of it. How did we get to this point? A nation that is afraid to let its people judge the truth and falsehood in an open market is a nation that is afraid of its people. That's still where we are in this nation, Canada, because no government, no authority wants to inquire into its handling or mishandling of the last three years response to COVID-19. Hello, I'm James Corbett of The Corbett Report, and for those who don't know, I'm a Canadian who has been living and working in Japan for 19 years now, and I founded The Corbett Report in 2007 as a source for news and information about politics, economics, science, philosophy, and society, and in that regard I have been covering the corruption of the World Health Organization and warning about the dawning biosecurity state for over 15 years now. So I would like to thank the inquiry for giving me the time to address this extremely important topic of the pending global pandemic treaty, but I know my time is severely limited today, so I would like to get straight into detailing the relevant background and context for understanding this story. Firstly, the World Health Organization was established in 1948 to promote, quote, the attainment by all peoples of the highest possible level of health, end quote. It proposes to achieve this by acting as, quote, the directing and coordinating authority on international health work, end quote. And so, accordingly, the WHO's governing body, the World Health Assembly, adopted the International Sanitary Regulations in 1951 to consolidate the multiple overlapping international agreements then governing quarantine procedures and other international health controls into a single convention. In 1969, this was superseded by the International Health Regulations, which, as amended in 1973 and 1981, covered six diseases but focused on three, cholera, yellow fever, and plague. Uh, worries about the, quote, emergence, re-emergence, and international spread of disease and other threats, end quote, concurrent with the surge in international travel in the 1990s, gave rise to calls for a substantial revision of the treaty, and in the wake of the 2003 SARS event and the 2004 avian influenza A epidemic, if you remember that one, a renewed sense of urgency led to the 2005 revision of the IHR. This revision included the creation of a new category of declaration by the World Health Organization, the Public Health Emergency of International Concern, which is appropriately enough abbreviated as PHEIC, or I would read that, fake. 
A fake declaration grants the WHO the power to obtain and share information about any declared health crisis anywhere within the IHR territories with or without the consent of the individual governments involved. And according to Stephen Morrison, the director of the Global Health Policy Center at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, this potentially allows for boots-on-the-ground intervention by the U.S. military or other NATO member countries to operate in these environments in terms of ground, support, uh, ground transport, supply chain, and distribution of commodities. And the fake was first declared in 2009 during the so-called swine flu pandemic, which, as was later shown, was based on severely overestimated case numbers. In fact, the swine flu pandemic did not meet the WHO website's own definition of, quote, an enormous number of deaths and cases of the disease, end quote. And when that was pointed out by a CNN reporter on May 4th of 2009, the language was promptly removed from the WHO website. At the time, Richard Shabas, the former chief medical officer for Canada's Ontario province, was quoted as saying, quote, Sometimes, some of us think that WHO stands for World Hysteria Organization, end quote. Indeed, in 2010, a British medical, medical journal investigation and an investigation by the Council of Europe both concluded that the key scientists who advised then-WHO director Margaret Chan to declare the fake for the swine flu scare had, quote, done paid work for pharmaceutical firms that stood to gain from the guidance they were preparing, end quote, and excoriated the WHO for its complete lack of transparency about this process. Fakes were subsequently declared for the 2014 polio outbreak, the 2013 outbreak of Ebola in Western Africa, the 2015 Zika virus epidemic, the 2018 Kivu Ebola epidemic, and, of course, in 2020, the so-called novel coronavirus pandemic, as well as the 2022 monkeypox pandemic? Question mark? Uh, each of these cases similarly resulted in massive paydays for pharmaceutical manufacturers and other beneficiaries of the growing biosecurity complex and massive increases in power for health authorities in each country and for the WHO in particular. In fact, we're told that the current WHO director even ignored the decision of his own expert advisory council to unilaterally declare last year's monkeypox outbreak as a public health emergency of international concern. But incredibly, the WHO is not satisfied with the remarkable power that it already enjoys under these documents. It is currently engaged in a deliberately confusing process to simultaneously do two things. Firstly, to once again amend the international health regulations to give the WHO even more powers of surveillance and control during any arbitrarily declared health crisis. And secondly, to create a global pandemic treaty that would supersede the sovereignty of individual nation-states to cede even more authority to the WHO to monitor and control public health agencies in the name of preventing the next pandemic. The process for these two separate negotiations are happening simultaneously, and although there is the fig leaf of public input in these processes, in reality, only accredited organizations are given time to voice their opinion about the need for such a treaty, and even then, the WHO is under no obligation to even consider such input. Instead, actual negotiations are taking place behind closed doors in off-camera sessions, and draft documents and meeting minutes are only occasionally dribbled out for public consumption. Worse, 
as the WHO has already demonstrated, their procedure for adoption of these proposed amendments is at best a formality and at worst pure theatrics. I would like to, uh, to make sure that if the committee now ready to approve the draft resolutions contained in, in A75 slash A Conf 7 Revision 1, the financial and administrative implication of these resolutions may be found in document A75A slash Conf slash 7 at 1. I am asking you if the committee is ready to approve the draft draft resolution in question. I see no objection. I see no objection. Therefore, the resolution is, um, is uh, adopted with this, this amendment. Therefore, uh, I repeat, the, the uh, resolution is uh, approved with amendment. That a completely unelected, unaccountable body that wields so much power over international affairs is meeting behind closed doors to decide the future of humanity under the pretense of the next declared emergency should be worrying enough. But the few details that have leaked out about these negotiations are even more frightening. These include provisions in the draft of the proposed treaty that would oblige member states to impose online censorship in the event of future crises under the guise of tackling misinformation. Provisions for the creation of a global digital vaccine passport system to stop unvaccinated people from traveling in the event of the next declared crisis and requirements that WHO members build and reinforce surveillance systems for future pandemics. While these ideas may seem benign or even noble to those who do not know the history of the WHO or the erection of the biosecurity grid, to those of us who have lived through three years of unprecedented medical tyranny, from forced quarantines and lockdowns to the attempts to illegally mandate experimental medical interventions, Stopping the WHO's unprecedented power grab must be our greatest priority. The World Health Organization currently consists of 194 member states, including Canada, and in order to become a member of the WHO, a state must ratify the WHO Constitution, which grants the WHO's governing body, the World Health Assembly, or WHA, the power to, quote, adopt conventions or agreements with respect to any matter within the competence of the organization, end quote, which, when ratified, obliges each member state to adopt those conventions or to notify the WHO's director general of rejection or reservations to that adoption within 18 months. As a WHO member state, Canada is obligated to abide by World Health Assembly decisions, or to provide specific reason for partial or incomplete compliance with those rules and agreements. So accordingly, the Public Health Agency of Canada provides regular self-assessment reports regarding its own international health regulations compliance. At an absolute minimum, Canadians must exert whatever power they have in whatever way they are able to reassert Canada's sovereignty over its public health by registering its reservations, 
about the IHR and the pandemic treaty. That would, of course, not be a solution to the problem posed by the WHO, but it would be a start. A more thoroughgoing solution would be the complete withdrawal of Canada from the WHO altogether. But as someone who is not just deeply cynical about the ability of politics to influence such affairs, uh, but actually believes the political process itself, with its inherent abrogation of individual sovereignty, and thus, by extension, bodily autonomy, to be invalid and immoral, I would suggest that the more radical approach might be appropriate. That is, active and coordinated wholesale civil disobedience of medical decrees and mandates, whether federal or provincial, that are not in the interest of individual health, including, if possible, the foundation of private medical organizations with doctors and others of like mind who are willing to disregard the dictates of the WHO, Public Health Canada, and any other self-declared health authority to provide health care regardless of vaccination status or any other unreasonable dictate. I know that such a movement will not take place without a sea change in public perception, and such a change would have to be predicated on a sea change in public awareness and understanding. And that is why I participate in inquiries like this and do the work that I do to help raise awareness of these issues. I hope you can appreciate that there is much, much more to be said about this problem and its solutions than can possibly be done justice in a short presentation like this. So if you're interested in hearing more about this topic, I suggest you follow the hyperlinked transcript of this statement that is available at CorbettReport.com slash Pandemic Treaty, as well as check the Corbett Report archives for my previous work on the WHO and the biosecurity state, and to follow my monthly conversations with Dr. Merrill Nass on children's health defense as we document the progress of the IHR amendments and the pandemic treaty toward the proposed ratification at the 77th World Health Assembly in May of next year. But in closing, let me just say this. The, w the WHO, the World Health Organization, was established in 1948 to coordinate international efforts to promote public health. But what is health? That may seem like a trivial question, but as we have seen over the last few years, the answer to that question can affect every aspect of our lives, from what medical interventions we are obligated to take to whether or not we are permitted to leave our own house. We cannot afford to let government appointees and unelected technocrats at the WHO answer this incredibly important question for us. It is up to us to answer that question for ourselves and to decide what health precautions we are willing to take and under what circumstances we are willing to take them. Any treaty, health regulation, or other document that would seek to undermine our bodily autonomy is null and void and should be treated as if it never existed. Thank you for your time and attention. Welcome everyone to this Twitter space. And for those that are listening, I would like to ask you to retweet this out. We, um, we wanna share this far and wide with as many people as possible. And while we're waiting for people to log in,
Um, this is the first time we've transitioned from a you know live video event into a Twitter space, but I, I think this is going to work well. I'll just give everyone an update of what's happening with the National Citizens Inquiry, and then we'll just launch into this discussion. So I'll, I'll just back up a little bit. I was just giving a, an update about the commissioners. So um, I think they're getting close to finishing the report and getting it to the NCI administration that then needs to figure out how to get it pushed far and wide and hopefully get many of the recommendations um, enacted or adopted by the various levels of government and other organizations that they might name. And I have to be vague because of the separation. I don't know what their recommendations are going to be until we get the report from them. I'd also like to just update everyone. Um, Michelle had been working hard on the This is Canada campaign. And it's quite fun. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's just basically a a one pager that you can print off. You can go to Staples and get it printed on cardstock. You can just print it on your grayscale printer. But it basically invites people to start watching the NCI. And I've been doing a lot of lecturing and I've been going to a lot of lectures. And every single one I go to, whether I'm a speaker or not, somebody has the This Is Canada brochures to be handing out and people are talking about it. So. Um, I just want to thank everyone for participating in that. It's been quite something. And then there's a group in Saskatchewan. I'm just going to list the towns where they've basically had every single household in this list of towns in southern Saskatchewan receive the This is Canada brochure. So Rockinville, Mooseman, Esterhazy, Wapella, Whitewood, Nicola, Manson, Elkhorn, Kirkella, and Wawato. So, um, I think the last time I heard Michelle speaking about this, she challenged every other part of Canada to basically even outdo this. And so I'd like to do the same challenge. And the only other update with the NCI is, is our video person is rendering all of the videos separately in a higher definition. And then each witness will be receiving their own web page, linking to their transcripts and to their videos and to any exhibits, and then any one-on-ones that Michelle did. So that's our update, and I'd like to launch us into this discussion. Now, my understanding is, is that we've got, uh, we should have Dr. Mark Trothy on the call. We've also got James Ragusky, and James is a, a gentleman I haven't met yet, but he's got quite a, a deep understanding from watching and, and reading the documents with the World Health Organization. And so I think he's gonna have a lot to contribute to this conversation. Can I see who's on the call? So do we have uh, Dr. Trazi on? Yeah. Yes, sir, I am here. Nice, nice to uh, hear you, Sean. Thanks for organizing this. Yeah, well, thanks to Teresa and, uh, and Garrett who do the lion's share of the work. Um, Mark, what did you think of that presentation by James Cor Corbett? And then, James, I'll ask you the same question. I understand it's a little dated and things have accelerated since um, James had done that, but I'm curious of what your thoughts are. Well, I think it's spot on. Um, I've been following this. Of course, this is not my my uh, you know specific area of expertise. That's why I'm really, uh, really glad that James was kind enough to join us because James has been 
really a great resource to a lot of us around the world. And uh, so if there's an up-to-date, if there's anyone who can keep us up-to-date down to the minute and in detail, uh, it's James. But indeed, you know, when you look at this contextually, when you look at the specific things, when you look at the history, when you look at what's happened, to me, it's very clear. We have an organization, the WHO, which has crossed well beyond the line of criminality. Um, and the idea that we're still embedded with them while they're making these these what I call legalistic moves to increase their power. Um, when, you know, clearly my feeling would be with regard to WHO, it's time to exit, it's time to defund, it's time to investigate, and it's time to prosecute. And by no means should we be getting deeper in bed with them. We should never write another check. That, that's where I come from. But again, we have James, who's a real expert on this. So I'll probably do a lot more listening than talking tonight. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. So, James, um, maybe we'll get you to step in, and if you can update us on what's been going on and, and expand and go into a little more detail, that'd be great. Well, I would be happy and honored to do so. Give me an idea of how much time you would like me to do to, uh, you know, to present this information. I can do five minutes. I can do five days. It's up to you. So, how, how, long, <laughs> how long would you like? Yeah, so we've got about an hour and a half to have this conversation. And um, we actually, this is an area that we were a week on in our um, hearings. It, you know, it's interesting. We had a full 24 days of hearings and we went more than eight hours a day. But um, we weren't able to fit in a lot of evidence on this. And there have been, you know, changes and, and updates since then. So I'd actually like invite you to, to kind of launch in and then, you know, the rest of us can kind of jump in and ask questions and clarify and we'll just have a conversation but yeah so if you want to kind of um you know i i would say go longer than shorter we've got a good hour and a half uh we usually take on these twitter spaces if the conversation is just too good to leave we'll go a little longer um <clears throat> yeah so just just launch in and and we can all just jump in and, and be part of the dialogue okay um i'm going to put a link in i guess the chat here um, stop the global agenda, and then I'm going to put another link in, and um, this is uh, one of the things that I, I want to be um, talking about. Um, hopefully, you're able to see. Uh, hold on, just one moment. Okay. Um, so yes, I will dive right in. Um, I have on the Stop the Global Agenda broken down the issue into four separate tracks. And I, I think the first question was, you know, bravo to um, James Corbett, all, all of the information, you know, he's been on top of this for quite some time. He and I and Meryl Nass have um, participated in a couple of uh, joint uh, presentations on children's health defense. And so, um, you know, it's all wonderful information. Um, but as you said, it is dated and time has moved forward. And now deadlines are upon us. And so there are actually four tracks. And so if people can go to stoptheglobalagenda.com, um, I, I think I've tried to lay this out as clearly as possible. And I've also um, written a letter that anyone is welcome to copy and edit and change however you want and send it to whatever 
you know, member of parliament or other political uh, public servant that you wish, it has all the information, all the links, all the up-to-date info. So track number one is something that most people are completely and absolutely unaware of. And it's not the WHO, it's the United Nations. So back on September 2nd of last year, 2022, the UN scheduled a meeting, they call it a high level meeting for September 20th of this year, 2023. So that's about a month away. And they have been circulating a document which they call a high level political declaration in regards to pandemic prevention, preparedness and response. And it's essentially borrowed a lot of text and, and wording from the other negotiations that are going on. It's, it's put it into what is currently a 14 page document. They hashed it out over the last year or so. And about a month ago, I reported on this, that they had submitted it. And you got to remember, this is the United Nations, not the WHO. So they submitted it to the 193 member nations of the UN. And, and so, you know, think in terms of your United Nations ambassador. Uh, they all have received this draft and they're going through what they call a silence procedure. Now, it's very important to understand that this is the way they play this game, and this confuses a lot of people. We'll talk about it all throughout this. The silence procedure is such that they say, well, here's the document. If you have any objection to it, feel free to speak up. But if you don't say anything, your silence will be taken as your consent. Well, I'm certainly not being silent about any of this. And so on September 20th, the odds are incredibly good that the United Nations, all 193 members, are going to adopt this declaration, a high-level political declaration. And the one thing that jumped out of the you know, document at me is they are advocating for what the WHO is doing, and they feel that it would take $30 billion a year to adequately fund all of the things that they're trying to do, right? So I'll move on quickly from track number one. Um, track number two is something that almost nobody has said a word about. It's driving me crazy, okay, that nobody's picking up on this. And the deadline is fast coming. But people in Canada have already taken action on it. So I put a link in the chat, which is a um, Canadian parliamentary petition that was done a number of months ago. Uh, my understanding is that to have a uh, petition read to the parliament, uh, 500 signatures are needed within a one-month period. And a couple of months ago, a petition was put forth to re request that the Canadian Parliament discuss the amendments that were adopted last year. Now, that probably comes as a surprise to a lot of people. I'll go into the details about what happened last year, but very specifically, this parliamentary petition needed 500 signatures. 
and it got 18,973. So, you know, good job, everyone in Canada. That far exceeded the number that was needed. My understanding is Parliament is on holiday or vacation or break or recess or whatever they call it and are due back in September. Uh, the petition needed to have a um, parliamentary sponsor. And so Leslin Lewis was the sponsor. If you go to the link, you can see all the information. You can see the text of the petition. And, you know, the likely thing, given, you know, how our quote unquote governments work these days, um, you know, it'll be read into the parliament and it's highly likely that they will just completely ignore it. But we don't want the people to ignore it. It's it, it's very important to understand that they are making decisions, as with the United Nations Public Declaration, the amendments that were adopted last year, the amendments that are being negotiated now in secret, and um, what I currently just refuse to call a treaty. It's the WHO CA plus framework convention. All of these things are being done with no public comment. And so the petition is, hey, can we get a public debate about, you know, these things? Now, track number two, uh, I'm going to rewind the clock to um, January of 2022. And on January 18th of 2022, uh, the Biden administration here in the United States submitted proposed amendments to the international health regulations. Now, the international health regulations are an existing um, body of law that were um, put forth in 1969. I think um, James Corbett you know, talked about that. And he talked about how they were uh, amended in 2005. And so the Biden administration put forth amendments to 13 articles. Uh, hope everyone can still hear me. Can you give me a heads up that you can hear me? Someone you lost for a second, but you're back. Out. You cut out just Are for a second. Are you still able to hear me? I hope you're back. Yeah, James, we can hear you. And now we can't hear you, James. Are you able to hear me? Uh, yeah, we can now, but you okay. were you were someone, out. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, someone was trying to call me, so it interrupted the um, Twitter stream, or the, I should say, the X um, space. Um, so hopefully you heard that I said that the um, Biden administration proposed amendments and submitted them on January 18th. Now, they, yes, did, we that, that. they did that with very little fanfare. And it, to my knowledge, it was never actually published anywhere on a United States government website. The WHO never actually published it until April 12th. So it went from January 18th to April 12th, pretty much being secret. I learned about it at the end of March and started um, letting it be known to the world that they were trying to do this and the word spread and long story short that particular document and those proposed amendments 
were pretty much kicked to the curb and were not even formally discussed at the World Health Assembly in May of 2022. But what they did was the United States, um, the United Kingdom, European Union, Australia, Japan, Monaco, Bosnia, a couple of other countries, submitted a new document, a different document. And those amendments were adopted. Uh, James Corbett had the very um, just bizarre situation where he showed um, the uh, adoption where, again, they used the silence procedure. It was a very uncomfortable end of this whole you know, charade, quite frankly, where they said, okay, are we ready to adopt these amendments? And a minute goes by and nobody said anything. Thus, it is adopted. And so when people think that these are going to be voted on, that's the way they vote. They essentially say, okay, you, you've all had a chance to see this. If you have any objections, speak up. If nobody says anything, they just go, okay, great. I guess, I guess you approve. We have adopted it. And so that same scenario is currently going on with every nation in, who are members of the WHO. That adoption happened on May 27th of 2022. It all the nations were notified. That was a Friday. All the nations were notified the next week. And so 18 months from that adopted, uh, you know, when the amendments were adopted, will take you to December 1st of 2023. 18 months from the end of May 2022 is the end, um, sorry, December 1st, 2023. Every nation could just simply write a letter to the WHO and say under Article 61, thank you for these amendments, but no thank you, we reject them. So Canada could just write a letter to the WHO and reject the amendments that were adopted last year. The point of all of this is that the process is not that the amendments will come back to Parliament for consideration and a vote. That is not part of the protocol, part of the process. They don't need to be signed by the prime minister. They don't need any approval by the crown. All of those authorities have been handed over when you joined the WHO and adopted the IHR in 1969 and the amendments in 2005. The process is that the appointed, unelected, unaccountable, unknown delegates from all of the member nations are not answerable or accountable to the people or their representatives in parliament. They go, they make decisions, and then they say, well, if you guys don't say anything, I guess it's good. So they've, they've already had well over 14 months of silence and ignorance. And there's less, you know, a little bit more than three months to go until December 1st. If nobody in the world writes a letter of rejection, too late. You missed your opportunity. 
So I'm going to move on to track three, which is at the same time that they adopted those amendments back in May of 2022, they also set forth a process and encouraged all of the nations to submit amendments to the international health regulations in addition to what was adopted last year. Now, my take on this is that the nations were somewhat unhappy that the United States jumped in and tried to push these amendments through. There were negotiations going on, and, and many of the nations, I think, felt, hey, United States, um, you want to change these amendments, or you want to amend the international health regulations? We'll show you how to amend the international health regulations. So they set up a procedure and said by September 30th of last year, all of the nations were encouraged to um, submit proposed amendments. 197 pages of amendments were submitted by 94 different countries, and there's a total by their count of 307 amendments. They kept that secret from September 30th until mid-December. Uh, I started you know, reporting on it in mid-December when they released the original submissions. They've had many, many, many meetings, most of them in secret since then, and they have not ever once, not once, sub, uh, published any revised version, first draft, second draft, third draft, you know, version 2.0, all we know is what the original submissions were. Now, some of them are egregiously horrible, but I personally suspect that those are acting as a decoy because what they really want is actually pretty boring. And, and so most people are not going to read the 197 pages. They're not going to read the 97-page um, review committee final report, you know, analysis of the 197 pages. So I put together a sort of Cliff Notes version. Again, you can find it on StopTheGlobalAgenda.com um, to give you the highlights of some of the most egregiously bad um, things that they're trying to do. Um, I won't go into the details of all 300 of the amendments, but essentially the part of it that is really problematic is very similar to what is in track four. So I'm going to um, move on to track four, which so far everything... I suspect, James, that somebody else is calling you because you cut out again. Oh, hopefully you can hear me again. James. Hello? Yeah, we can. So somebody must have been calling you again. Hopefully you can hear me again. Yeah. Hello, James. Are you still there? Yes, we can. Somebody called. Yeah, James, you're muted. So if you're speaking, my phone's showing you are muted. Hopefully you can hear me now. Yes, you are, we can. You are correct. I apologize for that, but yes, somebody was trying to call me. Um, 
so picking up where uh, I, I think you may have heard me um, uh, drop off, everything we've well, been... you were You were moving to track four, but you're deliberately not telling us the juicy bits along the way. Well, um, the juicy bits are coming in track four because what nobody is talking about is what is, you know, what, what most people would think is the boring aspects of all of these proposed amendments. And what is going on with track four, which most people call the pandemic treaty, but they take all of the information that is in the amendments and attribute it to what everyone calls the treaty. And so what I want to do is not repeat all of the things that people in the media have talked about and misattributed, okay? And so track four is what most people call the pandemic treaty. Now, my analysis of it, number one, is that none of this has got anything whatsoever to do about health. If they were truly concerned about health, they would be doing a formal inquiry as you people are doing. What you've been doing is fantastic. I, I couldn't applaud you, you know, strongly enough. They are ignoring the need for the after event review. I don't need to tell you any of this. You all know the importance of looking back over the last four years and, and saying, well, you know, they made this, 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 and this decision. And what was done that was wrong? What was done that was, you know, illegal and abomination? You know, maybe some of the decisions that were made were good and, and, and they were helpful, but a review of any of that is one, it's just completely absent. They dove right into something that is totally different. And I'm going to try to explain how we even got here, because it's not what people think it is. If you go back to 2020, there was a year of COVID, propaganda, fear mongering, you know, uh, whatever, whatever you believe happened in 2020, let's just say 2020 happened. Then in 2021, everyone, I take that back, the vast majority of people were looking to the jabs to save and, and, and bring back normal. And so when the jabs were made available, wealthy nations like Canada, the United States, the European Union, the EU, Australia, New Zealand, bought up many times more than they actually needed. Originally, the idea was um, frontline workers, you know, people in the hospital who were, you know, possibly it was believed that they were exposed to a contagion. Maybe, you know, certain people who were determined to be vulnerable, you know, everybody in the world who fit those categories was supposed to get jabbed first. But what happened was the wealthier nation said, oh, we're going to buy enough for our entire population and we'll jab everybody here two, three, four, five times. And so in mid-2021, 
the relatively poor nations who were unable to get contracts, unable, they didn't have the money or the influence or the power or, or the infrastructure to you know, participate in that abomination, they were upset because they believed that they were being treated unfairly, inequitably, and they were not gaining access to the thing that they believe was a good thing. Now, obviously, we can challenge that belief, but from a trade perspective, they felt that that was an unfair trade practice. So they called for a second World Health Assembly, special, because they only have them once a year, and at the end of November, beginning of December 2021, they agreed, the World Health Assembly, that there should be a convention or agreement to deal with the issue of equity. Now, it's not negotiating how to make people healthy or keep them healthier or, or treat a respiratory ailment. It's got nothing to do with health. Doctors are not involved. This is a trade dispute. They're unhappy about a number of things. And right about that time, um, South Africa and Botswana claimed to have found a new variant. Everybody, I'm sure, has heard of Omicron. They gave that information to the world and immediately were faced with travel restrictions. And then Pfizer and Moderna and maybe other companies took that information, turned it into boosters, and, and turned it into money. So what is going on in these negotiations is not what people think is going on. This is a trade dispute. They're arguing about intellectual property. They're arguing about what they call a pathogen access benefit sharing system. Oh, if we give you a sample of a pathogen, that's actually a national treasure. That's a resource. That's a, you know, that's a, a like having a, an herb or something that would, um, you know, save lives. It, they want, if, if they're being asked to share pathogen information, they want the corporations that turn that into money to share that profit with them. And so if you actually read the Bureau's text of the WHO CA+, it reads like a venture capital prospectus. It does not directly attack national sovereignty. It does not give the um, director general of the World Health Organization power to control your you know, choice of health care. Okay? Some of those things are in the amendments, but they may very well be a decoy. What the WHOCA plus does, because it's a framework convention, chapter three details the bureaucracy that it would create. It would create a conference of the parties, including whatever nations choose to join, including representatives from the corporations that manufacture pandemic response products, it would include 
agencies of the United Nations who donate a lot of money, as well as foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and so forth. In Article 19, those groups would be the ones giving money, this $30 billion that they're looking for, into the functioning of a framework convention that would have the conference of the parties meet on a yearly basis to decide the details of how they're going to spend that money. This is, this is conflict of interest and corruption on a scale that is almost unimaginable. They want to choose a cabal of oligarchs to create a cartel that would build out state-of-the-art laboratories in relatively poor nations so that they could use their One Health approach to search everywhere for a pathogen so that they could then turn that pathogen information into drugs and jabs and money and then say to people, oh, well, we found this pathogen. You know, maybe there's some bird flu in your chicken coop or some canine coronavirus at the veterinarian. And well, you know, your dog, you went with your dog to the vet and there was another dog there at about the same time. And we found some canine coronavirus in their stool sample. So maybe we got to quarantine your dog or you, right? Or, you know, if you have a, a pig and there's a pig's tie, maybe you find some swine flu or you find some polio in your septic system or the sewage treatment plant or, or some antibiotic resistant bacteria in the local hospital, right? They want to set up a fear-mongering infrastructure to be testing the environment to find the next pathogen with pandemic potential so that they can come in, you know, on, on, a, on a shiny white steed and save the day by drugging and jabbing everybody for something that has the potential to cause the next pandemic. So what everyone seems to be missing is that this is all about investing money and building out infrastructure to look for pathogens before a pandemic hits. Now, there's a certain logic to that, but it's taken to the extreme. Do you think it would make more sense to spend $30 billion a year to build up a bunch of laboratories to go working on the assumption that the world's biggest problem is that some animal pathogen is going to come over to humans? Or would that money be better spent on improving nutrition, vitamin D status, you know, mineral status, um, you know, better, uh, all, so many other things that that money could be spent on. You just have to understand it's not about health. The international health regulations are inaccurately named. If you read them, they should be called the International Surveillance, Monitoring, Reporting, Emergency Declaring, Fear-Mongering Control Regulations, because that's what they do. And when you look at this, what everyone calls the pandemic treaty, but is really 
a framework convention, it's setting up a cabal of unelected people to deal with billions of dollars, to set up a cartel, to do testing that's all run through the WHO so that they can do the same type of fear mongering and propaganda that they used in 2020, 21, two and three. And, and so, um, I absolutely agree with James Corbett. Um, you know, I'm able to give you a little bit of an update because he did that whenever he did that and time has passed. And the, the biggest issue that I see is, number one, the deadlines are upon us. September 20th for the UN, um, December 1st for what they did last year. The track three amendments that are currently being negotiated actually are going to be submitted before Christmas. They have a meeting at the beginning of October, and then they have a meeting uh, early December. They're going to submit it to the review committee that answers to Tedros only, and then they'll submit that by mid-January because they have to do so four months in advance of the um, World Health Assembly in May of 2024. Now, what on track four, one of the interesting bits of things that are going on is in early April, all of the nations were arguing amongst themselves. And the intergovernmental negotiating body that's in charge of those negotiations for the framework convention said, okay, everybody submit your proposed text, whatever you want, by April 22nd. And we'll put it together in a compilation text, and we'll we'll go from there. Please submit all of your information. Well, um, the 208-page compilation text that whatever nation submitted has been kept absolutely secret for almost three months now. Um, May, June, well, four months. May, June, July, and August. Okay absolutely secret we know it exists they talk about it the nations are many of the nations are unhappy because what the intergovernmental negotiating body did was they cherry-picked and out of that 208 page document they crafted a 43 page bureau's text and so obviously a lot of things didn't make the cut. And many nations are very unhappy that they're using this edited down version rather than the full submission of all of the text that each nation submitted. And so um, there is not, you know, complete joy and unanimity and, and happiness amongst the people negotiating this framework convention now on the other hand what's going on with the negotiations for the 300 plus amendments is complete secrecy they have said nothing the entire year we have no idea of the status of those negotiations what they did last year is they quietly submitted them in january and they never let anybody see them. I, I got a hold of them um, about three weeks before they made them public, but they didn't make them public until April 12th. 
So number one, the deadlines are upon us. And number two, they're doing this all in secret. And number three, there's no public comment or public discussion. And if there is, it's completely mangled and garbled and meaningless because the documents that we have, our public officials haven't read them. And there are many documents that we are not allowed to see. And, you know, they talk about transparency. Um, their version of transparency is pretty darn opaque. And so um, I'll stop there. I could go on for days, but I'm happy to answer any questions if I can. Well, <clears throat> James, I've got a couple. So first of all, um, you know, James was talking about how basically we were, we don't call it a treaty, but we could find ourselves in the situation where if they declare another pandemic, and we don't follow what they're recommending is that basically, you know, they could dictate to us what our health policy would be. Is there any truth to that currently? Well, um, it's it's actually worse than that, if you can believe it. <laughs> OK, um, number one, the, the document that people call a treaty. Has got absolutely none of that in it. If you haven't read the treaty, and uh, if you haven't read the Bureau's text of the WHOCA+, whatever you think you know about that document is probably wrong. Okay, What James was referring to are proposed amendments to the international health regulations. But there's an amendment that most people don't talk about, and this is why I say it's worse. Russia proposed an amendment to Article 4. Now, when they um, did a number of amendments back in 2005, one of the things that was done, and this is where I, I believe the WHO actually infiltrated every government on the planet back in 2005, Part of the 2005 amendments, Article 4, says that each nation has to have a national IHR focal point office within your government. So if you do a search for national IHR focal point, you know, Canadian Health Ministry, um, you'll probably find that there's an office, might be a slightly different name, that is obligated to be in 24 7 communication with the WHO. And, and so Russia proposed an amendment in this current batch of amendments that each nation would be obligated to enact legislation to empower that office to have the authority to implement all of the other things that might be agreed to in the amendments. So the reason why I say this is worse is national governments far exceed the level of atrocity that they seem to be willing to put upon their own people compared to the WHO. The WHO is bad, but the Canadian government, the Australian government, the New Zealand government, you know, the UK, the United States, 
are even worse. And so one of the amendments is that the Canadian Parliament would have to enact legislation empowering this office to do all of the things that are agreed in whatever amendments are agreed upon. And, and so the problem is the people who did this to you over the last four years are going to be the same people who do it to you even harder next time, unless you realize that you have to push back against what they plan to do. And so um, they're not setting it up in any way other than getting each nation to agree to beat on their own people even harder than they did before. And then, you know, if people say, oh, well, you know, we have to do this because there's this new law or we have to do this because of this treaty or these amendments or whatever. Up until now, the WHO has always been an advisory organization that made recommendations. And what I believe they're doing is they've put up a bunch of decoys to get everybody confused. They got two separate documents that, you know, they're talking about, plus the UN and what happened last year. So people don't really have a clear grasp of what is actually going on. And boom, there'll be a big law that gets slammed through parliament. And before you know it, um, they will have implemented all of this in your own nation in your own province, in your own county, in your own city. Okay. So it's a, it's a multi-front battle. Right. Now, can I just clarify then? So, um, cause I was led to believe from the testimony of James Corbett, that one of the dangers would be, we could find ourselves in a situation where the WHO declares a pandemic, much like they did with swine flu, um, which Canada largely ignored um, as a problem. But if we were ignoring it, that no, we actually could be forced to take actions that the WHO wanted us to take. Is there any truth to that? Um, there are proposed amendments from Bangladesh and Malaysia in particular, but other nations as well, that if those amendments have not been jettisoned, if those amendments are not decoys and they're still in the negotiated document, which we are not allowed to see, then yes, it's absurdly ridiculous. Okay. Um, as time has passed, I have come to believe because of the way they speak about this. Okay. They leave subtle little hints. And since they're secretly negotiating this, I, I think they have heard the writing on the wall. I think that they are going to jettison some of the more egregious things so that when they present it to the world, it's not going to have some of the things that people are very concerned about. And the stuff that they're going to present is going to be so ungodly boring that people are not going to have time to, to dig into it and understand what they're really doing. What they're really doing 
is laundering money into big pharma to do more of what they did to you over the last four years. Now, um, another, I've got two more questions and then I'll let Michelle and Mark and others jump in. Um, <clears throat> I actually ended up doing a lecture in Southern Saskatchewan and, and one of the persons there has quite a bit of expertise concerning livestock and matters like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that there's concern that actually, you know, we're going to be... This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. ...starting to vaccinate our, our livestock herds with MNRE vaccines, um, and that this could become mandatory. Now, but this I don't think would have anything to do with the World Health Organization. Um, but bearing in mind that we're coming up with this One Health Initiative, which seems to be implying that humans wouldn't be the only focus. Um, can you comment on, you know, whether there's anything concerning with livestock from the WHO, and then also whether this One Health Initiative is is similar to how James had described it at the NCI, which basically was that, you know, it's really a planetary One Health where humans aren't privileged above other life forms. Um, it's an enormous concern, and I don't think I'm going to even be able to get close to being able to to get people to comprehend the enormity of it, okay? So there are stories that people have heard, okay? Um, oh, we found some bird flu in this flock of chickens and a couple of million birds are called and bulldozed into a pit and buried. Okay, I, I'm going to guess many people have heard stories like that. Okay, you cannot begin to imagine the depraved way One Health, the One Health approach could be implemented. Okay, if you allow a fake test like the PCR, to be used, as we saw, billions of people allow it to be used to convince someone that there is an existential threat. And the only way to solve that existential threat is to murder millions of animals. Okay? The depravity is beyond imagination. Okay, now injecting livestock with vaccines is currently an ongoing thing. They do it all the time. And with mRNA, um, you have to look at it and you have to go, what kind of absolute evil is behind this? Is there even, you know, any kind of justification for it? The, the only answer is no, you people are sick. Injecting, you know, cows with mRNA to do what? Okay, the absurdity of it is beyond the level of comprehension. I, I can't even begin to find the words, um, you know, you know, is this a trial balloon just to see 
if farmers will put up with it, if ranchers will put up with it, it's a, it's an obs- and and it's not about just mRNA. Does anybody have the foggiest idea of what might actually be in those files? And and what are they purporting to save us from? Okay, it, it, it's just evil on a level that is unimaginable. It it is interesting that. Um... You know, we've been on this planet for thousands and thousands and thousands <laughs> of years of recorded history. And, you know, really, we, you know, we've managed quite well with just nature. And all of a sudden, we're being led to believe at you know, the height of this scientific civilization, which uh, is supposed to solve our problems, that, you know, we have insurmountable problems. And uh, it's a little suspicious. I'm going to just, as a housekeeping thing, <laughs> remind people to retweet this and um, so that we get more people on and I'll just open up the conversation to Mark and Michelle and anyone else that that uh, is allowed to jump in. Yeah, I have a couple of questions. Um, so James, first of all, hello. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Thank you, James. Um, so you talked about, you've talked in, in great detail and thank you for well, thank you for your expertise, first of all. But you talked about, you know, uh, these documents being boring enough <laughs> that even, I mean, <laughs> even politicians aren't reading them. My question is really, how do we engage uh, citizens? How do we engage people in the importance of this when it's so it's comp it's so complex and boring for politicians? Well, you know, uh, I have tried to extract the highlights. If you go to stoptheglobalagenda.com, there's a little video there, a quick summary of it. Um, on on a couple of levels, it, it's quite easy, actually. Um, and you've asked me to come here and speak to people who want to know, but there's a different way of reaching out to people who are not, um, you know, showing up looking to get information. And it's the Socratic method versus the lecture method, okay? And so if you're talking to somebody and you say, hey, you know, what do you, what, what is your opinion about, and then you can fill in the blank. What's your opinion about, right? Now, if you were talking to a member of parliament, right? And, and you said, what's your opinion about the bureau's text of the WHOCA plus? Okay, and in specific, okay, the fact that it's a framework convention, much like the framework convention for climate change that we got ourselves into in 1992. Do you think it's a good idea to put unknown people in charge of the details and sign an open, you know, agreement and let them work out all the details in the future? Do you think that's a good idea? The, the use of rhetorical questions, okay? Um, what do you think about the fact that the 208-page compilation text is, we're not allowed to see it? Are you happy that this is being done in secret? Oh, you're a member of parliament? Um, you know, how does it feel to not have any authority to stop what the WHO is doing, because you realize they adopted amendments last year 
and they're going to, you know, the deadline to say anything about them is December 1st. And you guys in Parliament haven't done a darn thing. How does it feel to be so impotent? So uh, these are this is a, a great response, and I'm inviting you to write a blog <laughs> with a top <laughs> 10 questions that we can ask, um, because those are really great. I'd also like to ask uh, Mark Trozzi the same question. How do you, because I know you're engaged in this conversation, how do you uh, bring people into the conversation about such a big issue that will impact us so personally? Well, well, thanks, Michelle. Um, I, I think maybe uh, myself, uh, I've been, you know, they say no use preaching to the choir, but I've tended to preach for the choir. So uh, I'm not sure I've, I've always, you know, focused on how can I ask the right question. And I know this is a very important art. You know, we talk about the movable middle. Um, and, and, and I think we've all played different roles and, and, Dr. Trozzi, if, like, if you're trying to speak, we can't hear you. Oh, no, I, I'm able oh, to hear. I can him. hear him. I'm, I'm able to hear him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Can Can you guys hear me now? I can Still? hear you. Yeah. I can hear okay. you. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Um. So, I th I think you know, people. Uh, for me, it's about getting people to see like the basic medical science. And then what you can see is that the WHO has done nothing but caused harm. The WHO has crossed well across the line into criminality, coercion, supporting racketeering. Uh, we look at regions anywhere in the world that has managed to ignore WHO mandates, whether that's the Amish in Pennsylvania or whether that's some regions in Africa. Uh, unlike everybody else, they're, they've been fine. They've taken ivermectin when they had COVID and they had like minimal, you know, really trace uh, disease and death. And they haven't taken the forced injections. And so they don't have this massive wave of death that we have right now. So uh, to me, it seems the most important for people to see that, like, that the, the WHO is used as a conduit through which uh, a group of, of, I think you can only describe them as evil oligarchs. Uh, they take our tax dollars and, and then they pitch in some private money <clears throat> and they use it as a marketing and an imposement wing to force everyone around the world to do all these ridiculous things that are extremely harmful. And, and I think, you know, how do you get people to see that? Well, I mean, you know, Dr. Hodkinson showed us a great way, you know, when you see him since a year ago or more, he'd, He'd be in an auditorium and he'd ask people, hey, how many people do you know or do you know anyone that died from COVID? And people generally don't know. I mean, I, I was working in, in the hospitals all of 2020. And it's like I could arguably say I kind of encountered a case where, yes, yeah, someone died with COVID, but it, it was not like a healthy person. But when you ask people, hey, how many people know somebody that got really sick or died following the injections that were forced on everyone as a supposed solution after the treatment was blocked? Everybody knows people. Everybody knows some young person with cancer or somebody whose kid's dead. I mean, um, so I think when people see that and they realize this was the WHO agenda, um, that everyone should feel a very strong impulse to get away from the WHO. I mean, uh, other than getting close to them in terms of uh, 
you know, investigating and prosecuting. So, I mean, that would be my fairly blunt method forward. And I think it works for a portion of people um, and, and, and not others. But I do find as time goes by, more and more people are very open to this information because even at a subconscious level, I think most people know something's very wrong mm-hmm. of what's happened. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I have another question for you. And um, it's interesting because I was reviewing both your testimony and James Corbett's testimony. And I one of the things that came up and actually, Sean, it was you who said this, that it would seem that it would be beneficial if every country would kind of take their own approach to see if there was there were different approaches that might work and others that didn't work instead of like one approach. So even from that perspective, um, I, I think it's it's worth having that conversation with people. You know, like doesn't it make sense that we would have, you know, in Canada different things to think about in terms of a pandemic versus you know, let's say in India. Um, but the question that came up was, what is health? And I wanted to ask you, because I think it's a really great starting point um, for a conversation about what the WHO actually does, particularly after what uh, James Roguski just said about that it's not about health, but this is about uh, this is a trade dispute. So how how would you answer that question, Mark? What is health? Well, I think that, you know, we could look at the word health and the word disease or disease, right? Um, You know, a lot of people, when you look at the current way our tax dollars are paid out, uh, aside from certain areas, I mean, you know, I think, uh, I mean, myself, I'm a, you know, I love trauma medicine. So, you know, trauma medicine, there's a a variety of areas where it's appropriate things. If you crash your car and, you know, your, your lungs are collapsing, I think it's a very good time to deal with the problem. But it's really, we're living in a sick care system where, you know, nothing's done to help people be healthy. For instance, in 2020, uh, Dr. Tam uh, never never mentioned, I don't know if she lacks the education, she never mentioned that vitamin D is essentially the currency of communication of the immune system. And if you're fighting an infection, you need lots of vitamin D. To the contrary, they said, uh, you know, go home and lock yourself in, in your house. No one's allowed to go to the park and catch some sunshine or get some exercise or get fresh air or all the things that we know correlate with health and correlate specifically with a high functioning immune system and, and the absence of infectious diseases. So, you know, the number one determinant of absence of infectious diseases is health and is a healthy lifestyle, it's a healthy diet. We know the things that are involved. It's not rocket science. It doesn't require an $18 billion budget in some you know, centralized global organization. I mean, your grandmother could teach you most of it and probably did, and that stuff all works. So this is a complete hijacking of the human uh, history, the passing on of knowledge, and all the things that have allowed to achieve health. You know, um, even if you look at the last century, you know, before these these Frankenstein injections, these genetic injections, which again, I, I I'm I'm with uh, James and others. Like I refuse to call them vaccines without putting quotes around them. But even if you go to the vaccines before that, um, what you see in reality was that you have a century where, as uh, running water, hot, proper hygiene, good plumbing, refrigeration, stable food supply, as those things 
became uh, more prominent, you saw a just a inverse relationship. You just saw all these infectious diseases going away from very high rates to very low rates. And in general, when when it was almost gone, when different infections were almost gone, um, that's when the vaccines were introduced. And, and they were introduced the same idea. Like you could see, they want to give it to everybody so there's no control. They want to have global mandates so there's no control because if people do things differently, they won't be able to tell the difference, right? Like if, if everyone took the, the, the COVID shot, right, and that's what they're pushing for, then it'd be very hard to go, oh, my God, the 20% of people that didn't take it, wow, they're so healthy. They've outlived the rest of us. The rest of us are having cancer and neurologic problems and all this stuff. They want to eliminate that. That way they could blame it on something other than the shot. Their, their deception levels are, are extreme. So I think that a, a legitimate uh, government would do very simple, very affordable things. You know, if you'd, if you'd given me authority early in 2020 and said, okay, you're the minister of health, I would have made some commercials on TV. I would have made ivermectin, vitamin D, uh, readily available as the protocols that were being figured out about the different phases of COVID and when in some people you wanted to use a little aspirin and antihistamine as well as ivermectin. As those things were figured out, I would have just made that knowledge available. Um, instead, we had all of that suppressed and it's the mandates that killed the people. And then the injections really caused the killing. So I, I think the fact that the governments are being manipulated to just help um, expand power of you know certain oligarchs and at the same time create a multi-billion dollar industry which actually reduces people health and kills them is the opposite of what should be done this should be a very affordable thing to just help people maintain good immune systems because healthy immunity is the determinant by far of uh having low infections rates and not getting very sick so that would that would be i think the distinction between the sick care system mm -hmm. And, and a healthcare system. It's in, in um, if I may, if I may comment on um, what what Mark said, um, in in terms of things that can be done, I, I put a couple of more links in the chat, but I want to talk about just the fundamental concept. Okay, um, I don't preach to the choir. I like to preach to the congregation and encourage the congregation to join the choir, okay? Back in September, the WHO did a very contrived, quote unquote, public comment period. And one of the things that they did was they asked people to log on to this website show their passport or their driver's license and then if they identified themselves in that manner you know via video then they could make a 90 second recorded comment and i knew that a lot of people were not going to want to do that many people did i did because i wanted to but a lot of people said oh i'm not doing that i don't want to give them my id that way so I got several hundred people, and Mark, I believe you were one of them, to do a 90-second video. And those are all available on screwthewho.com. And that's the general gist of what most people's videos were. And so 
the original or the thing that I said, you know, we don't actually preach to the choir. We we generally preach to the congregation who in a, in a church, people come and they sit and listen to a sermon and they maybe, you know, sing along with the choir a little bit, but then they go home. Right. But if you could get some of those people to speak up and this is what I encourage everyone to do. Most people probably have a, a smartphone or they know somebody who does. Look at this information, decide for yourself what your opinion is about it, and turn the camera on yourself and be the media. You cannot trust the media. You cannot count on the media. You have to be the media. Now, if you do a short 90 second video, you could upload that, attach it to an email, and send it to everybody you possibly could imagine and say, this is my opinion. This is what's going on. Here's all of the information. And you may find that the vast majority of people just don't care. But you may find a couple of people who go, oh, my God. I had no idea this was going on. Thank you so much for telling me. And they may repeat the process and they may tell somebody who tells somebody who tells somebody who has a large following, a large audience. Okay. And, and so I encourage people who are listening here today to call me up. I, I, I apologize that people were calling me while I was uh, on, on this thing, but I give my phone number to everybody. That's why the phone rings. Um, yeah. My phone so, number is right on my Twitter account. If you follow me, you, you get my phone number. And, and so take the action of not remaining silent. Okay. Now, a couple more things, if I may, I also well, put James, in. James, can we just, can we just butt in and we're going to let some of the people listening, uh, we're going to that have questions come up and, and participate Wonderful. in the dialogue too. Wonderful. Yeah. So um. Yeah. So. Is it Don or Garrett? Garrett. So Garrett, if you want to just pull some people up that have some questions, we'll let them join in. Okay, so we're just waiting for a second for uh, for Garrett to bring some people up that we've just been having some people indicate they wanted to join the conversation. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the fun things about these Twitter spaces is you just never know. But James, we're <laughs> certainly appreciating you bringing you bringing an understanding to this that um, few people actually talk about. And so I know that I'm learning quite a bit and enjoying the conversation. So a couple of people there. So let's start with um, off the wings. Go ahead. Off the pillow, growing wings. Um, oh, thank sorry. you. It's, it's all good. Thank you very much for the mic. I do want to commend um, James for the due diligence and the deep dive and the, the deep critical thinking in which you did, you've read things that um, most of us haven't. It's a lot of, it's a lot of literature. 
to go through. And like you said, it's boring. Um, much the same as the things that Klaus Schwab, Schwab has uh, written. They're very difficult. <laughs> They're difficult to um, get through. Mm-hmm. Um, I have purchased three of his books. And um, I will admit that I haven't really read them front to back. They're kind of a thing that I will taste and, and, and I jump in and out and open it up here and there. But fluently, I can't do it. Um, so dystopian. I just wanted to ask you if you've ever um, looked into Policy Horizons Canada and Agile Nations, which are two other things um, that are politically affecting. It will eventually affect all those nations you speak of. Apparently, there's only seven that have that have signed on to the Agile Nations. We are one of them in Canada. Um, but when you read uh, Policy Horizons Canada, which is a faction that comes from the World Economic Forum, um, they are um, an institute. It's called the Foresight Institute. It's very technological. And Agile Nations fits very closely with that. And where you see their, their um, trajectory, where they would like to take us as, as a human species, um, it's very frightening. Um, we can talk about the mRNA going into our livestock and what, what's going to be on our dinner plates. But in all honesty, um, the verbiage that are coming out of these people, which you have stated earlier and I'm in full agreement with, these people are lunatics. They're psychopaths. This is absolute insanity. But the things they're saying and the science behind what they're talking about, it's all there. And this is one component that I don't think uh, enough of the population has caught up with. Um, I know it's a struggle for most of us that are very awake, that are in these rooms, um, trying desperately to get people to stop being distracted with things that are mundane and um, not helpful to their spirit or or humanity in its whole. Um, but I just wanted to ask you if you've ever touched on policy horizons and um, the shaping of the fourth industrial revolution, those kinds of things. Because we're, we're, what we're dealing with when, when it comes to this RM, mRNA um, and this technology behind these injections, um, we're looking towards a very, very dark future where, you know, Possibly people will not even be able to think for themselves if we continue on this path. This is the science they're working on. And I just wondered where you were with that, if you've ever touched on any of that information. Thank you very much for the mic. Oh, thank you for the question. Um, For the most part, what I try to do, and uh, I'll pass on a couple of things in that vein, I, I think as part of my character, I, I don't regurgitate their propaganda as much as possible, okay? And and so part of the problem is if you die, and, and it's maybe good that you didn't dive in and go cover to cover because, you know, then you got to take a, a bath in bleach to cleanse yourself from it. And and so part of the skill set needs to be, look, this is what they are trying to do what do we need to do to have a better answer? Okay, that's what they want to do. 
don't give it any energy don't give it any strength don't talk about it don't regurgitate it don't don't put it out there for people you know you want to let people know that this is what they're doing but you have to offer a a better you know alternative right and so a, a couple of other links that i put in the chat um exit the who.org um there's a couple of dozen groups that i've worked with around the country and you can see i'm sorry around the world and you can see what other people have thought to do you know canada people have done a petition other groups you know they've taken action and and you know all the way down to the latest in trinidad and tobago where they put an open letter to the prime minister in in the newspaper and you know they're they're going at it hard right other groups you know uh, australia exits the who.com um people all around the world are aware of this and they're taking action it's quite frankly very encouraging if you go to exitthewho.com as opposed to .org the exitthewho.com is dedicated to the united states and currently we have um 50 co-sponsors on a piece of legislation hr 79 that I can explain in 15 seconds. It's a page and a half long. It says we are, you know, we would leave the WHO, we would stop giving them money, and we would repeal the legislation that got us into the WHO in the first place. So taking action with what it is you want is the answer to whatever it is they're trying to sell. So I have a question just to follow up on on the the last question and also uh, to touch on something you said earlier, James. And this again, this question is for both you and for Mark, is you talked about the depravity that led to this situation. How do we counter that? How do we counter depravity? So if you could start, James. Um, you know, with the opposite of all of the evil. If if you see somebody spewing hate, you 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 bring more love, right? If you see somebody living in fear, you you raise up your courage. When when you see depravity, you know, you you have empathy and concern for life, right? And so I'm not saying to hide from any of it. Um most recently, I have seen some of the most depraved photo i mean just i'm not even going to talk about what they are they're just you know you cannot unsee them right and and sometimes you know you do need to show that to people and say you know this is what they are doing right and and so if a person doesn't recoil in horror from it um, you know, who is it that you're dealing with if they can just look at that and they're numb to it, right? And and so, but the way you deal with it is you say, well, you know, I'll just give you a couple of examples. One of the things I haven't touched on, it's a topic with the WHO. I want to live in a world where I'm free to travel and nobody can tell me that I have to stick something in my skin in order to travel. I want to be able to live my life without needing to, you know, do something to my body that somebody else mandates. That's the world I want to live in. 
right? I want to live in a world where, you know, I can trust that the food that I'm buying in the store um, is good and healthy for me. I don't live in that world at the moment, okay? But the, the counterbalance is, you know, if you see the horror that they're doing, you point it out, but then you say, well, but this is what we're working towards. You know, this is so much better. If you have healthy cows living a healthy life in a healthy environment, you know, you don't need to do the things that they're trying to do. They're sick. And so I'll, I'll pass it on to Mark. Well, I'm, I, I, I'm still kind of uh, uh, resonating something that you said earlier, James. Um, and this may be not quite on point of the question. So Michelle, if I can just state this and then maybe you can restate the question sure, if, if you like, which is, I've been, you know, I know James has spent, I don't know how many tens of thousands of hours studying the WHO. I've spent some hundreds to make me very much an, an amateur in understanding by comparison. And and the one thing that uh, is, um, is a frustrating reality is it's confusing by design. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, you, one, one's head spins. Like, I'm amazed, you know, like you said, James, you've really stayed on this target because this target is so complicated. I, th- I think if you tried to diversify any more than you, you know, it would be impossible. But, you know, you mentioned at the end the legislation, the very brief, short page and a half legislation that you've got going in the States there to say we're done with the WHO, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that approach because to me, this seems, you know, well, it seems it, it is very much a situation where we're entangled with an organization which has become completely nefarious, completely discreditable. No one in their right mind would do business with them. And so I really like the idea that instead of us trying to negotiate through the details of the business so that it becomes less damaging or maybe makes it a little harder and delays them hurting us more, that we just cut the relationship 100%. I regard the WHO as the enemy of my people, my children, my grandchildren, my friends. Um, so I, I, I kind of want to resonate on that. And I think I could see in Canada us coming around this theme and saying, let's come up with, as you said, James, the deadlines are fast approaching. And I think that there's so many great uh, people in Canada uh, you know, in the truth and freedom movement, doing lots of things. I think this is one time we should all find ourselves working on the same project and make it very concise and narrow. And I like the idea of like, let's just, you know, exit, defund, and I would like to add, investigate and prosecute WHO. And of course, in Canada, I guess like in the States, we face that even with the, the foreign agencies running our federal corporations right now. Um and then maybe jumping to the, the the question about how do we deal with depravity on a more um, on a more philosophical social level, um, the 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 absolute grotesqueness that we're seeing paraded before us and trying to be normalized, whether it's whether it's it's forced violations of the Nuremberg Code that cause record injuries and death and abortions and sterility and young people with permanent heart disease and short lives and all the stuff that's come from this, this COVID agenda, this crawling into injections, 
you know, the, the, the good doctors pulled, you know, out of, have their licenses revoked to do proper things that where the colleges have become criminal organizations, you know, all this depravity is so extreme. You know, you've got grown men with their genitals hanging out, walking by small children on the streets of Toronto and their parents have been somehow trained into thinking that's really cool and loving. So I, I think the other side of this as well, we've seen many people really take this highway to hell. Um, I think it's also caused, I know in myself, it's caused me to go from being a decent person to a much better person. And it's caused those of us that, uh, that, that just would, that had the, the mental, spiritual, uh, constitution to not run with the madness. It's caused us to get to know each other, to work together. You know, so many good people are giving everything we have now to trying to make the world a better place, even in the, you know, in the face of the extreme crises we're facing. So while there's, well, there's a, a level of depravity we haven't seen, we're also seeing an evolutionary phenomena, like a, a social evolutionary phenomena, where it's causing those of us who go, oh my God, that's so depraved, we got to go the other way, to become better than we ever have. And, and I know people are shifting over. I mean, there's people going, wow, I've had enough of the perversions and thinking whether I'm a boy or a girl and just pedophilia normalization forced injections all this stuff and more and more people i think are coming to 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 what's really becoming a honed uh refocus of western value of us going hey wait a minute we were almost conned into throwing out everything that we had developed culturally artistically literary wise um and we're re-embracing it we're reviving it and i actually think there's a sub portion of the population right now that, that are better than we've probably ever been. And a lot of parameters from health to spirituality um, to, to behavior and discipline. And, and so I, that, I see that there's extreme depravity and yet, you know, here there's, there's so many people rising up where you go, wow, these are really wonderful people. You know, like I probably everyone in this conversation, you know, both listening and speaking. Thank you for that. Uh, I think, yeah, so, go ahead, Sean. Sorry. Yeah, I think just because of time, we've got two speakers waiting and we'll let them chime in. And then I'm going to ask um, if we can have um, James, Mark, and then you at the end, Michelle, give your closing thoughts. So we'll let these uh, two people come in Erickson first and then Marvell325 or Quantum A, sorry. Thanks. Uh, hello, buddy. Uh, my name's Greg Erickson. I'm a reporter, and I've been reporting on what you're speaking about tonight for 36 years now. And I would like to give my view on what I think's uh, taking place. What you're talking about here is called the Globalist New World Order. And while you're... Uh, now, as far as the pandemic treaty and everything, I think it's great that you do your, you know, exit the who and all that stuff. I think it's great. Keep on doing it because the solution to our problem is an educated public. And believe me, I feel in the near future, the whole world is going to be educated, probably with the snap of a finger when they pull off another big event like they did in 2020. 
Now, while most people were looking for toilet paper in 2020, it flew over their bonnets that that was a global takeover of our entire planet. All the nations went in lockstep together and locked down the entire planet. That's called global fascism. Now, global fascism is not coming. Global fascism arrived on this planet in 2020. And the last point I would like to make to you is you can do all the laws you want. Uh, now, once again, I'm telling you, do what you need to do. Exit the who.com, whatever. Yes, do all that stuff. But you have to keep it in your mind that these people are above the law currently. They are above the law. They can make up whatever rules they want. There is no law at this point because they are above it. So, uh, yes, the solution to this is an educated public and uh, that's what will bring it all down when people are finally educated. And I believe when this next big event takes place, that's going to educate a lot of people. We just didn't seem to learn our lesson in 2020 that the whole planet was taken over. So now that we didn't wake up in 2020, now we've got to go through some more pain, which will probably be this next big event. But out of this next big event, maybe that will be what sparks off people finally waking up. So uh, we're going to win it. We're going to win it. But uh, that's just my view on things. Well, thank, thank you for those comments. Um, Quantum A, do you want to chime in? And then yes, um, the United Nations was formed in 1945 after World War II to prevent World War III. For the last 80 years, BRICS has formed against the United Nations and the U.S. dollar global currency reserve to strengthen their own fiat currency. China, India are two key players in, you know, even Russia, right? and strengthening their own economies against the U.S. dollar and the United Nations. With the upcoming presidential election and the diversity in America, there is the black vote, the Asian vote, the diverse vote, the LGBTQ vote, that uh, make up a large portion of, of the United States population being the most diverse country in the world. World War Three. Uh, you know, whether or not that is the pandemic treaty, right? We, we, I, I think um, the pandemic treaty is World War Three, but, you know, that could be speculation and that um, BRICS is involved in the who becomes the next president of the United States and they're picking Vivek Ramaswamy. And um, you know who that, if you know who that is or not. But um, I just wanted to say that we can go to who's next. Super. So what we'll do, just because we're, we're approaching uh, two hours, is um, James, we'll uh, have you give final comments. And then we'll have Dr. Mark Trossi give final comments. 
And then Michelle, if you want to give final comments and sign us off for the night, I think that would be wonderful. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Um, I, I am very familiar with the work that you all have been doing. And um, please reach out to me because I um, am working on an article to promote um, you know, your efforts. I'm looking forward to the report that's coming. Um, all of this information, you know, I, I, the gentleman who said, you know, that um, an informed public, uh, you know, is necessary. Um, all of the work that you all have been doing uh, has been spectacular. And um, that's what we need around the world. What I have said to many people is the WHO should be doing what NCI is doing. But they're not ever going to because that's not their business model. Their, their goal, but once you accept that not everybody in the world actually thinks the way you do, there are people who pretend to want to help others with their health, but the end result of what they do is exactly the opposite. And when you allow yourself to realize and accept the World Health Organization's goal can be evidenced by their actions. Your government's goal is evidenced by its actions. Your, your friends and your family and everybody else, doesn't matter what they say, look at what they have done. And if you, if you ascribe to them higher qualities that you see in yourself and, and you just assume that you know they must be like you um that's where we have the problem their goal is not to improve people's health because if the who's goal was to figure out how to do things better they would be doing what nci has done so kudos to all of you i'm honored to be here Thank you so very much um, for everybody on the call or on the space. My phone number is on my Twitter account. If you follow me and you have any questions, please feel free to give me a call anytime. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. Can you go next? Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I want to start by thanking, uh, thanking my friend James for, for joining us tonight. Um, and you know on the on the central subject of the the who um you know i really i i i generally look to james and a few others to really get the details so one of my biggest recommendations with regards to this would be to pay very careful attention to what james says because i've been following him and working with him intermittently over a couple of years um so other than that i mean just to put my own kind of you know copper on the table um i think that every that that rather than getting tangled up in in all the little tentacles of the who i think we should i think you know intrinsically we should reject their authority and then we should do everything we can to detangle our country from them uh they're completely illegitimate i mean they have caused nothing but harm and behaved in a criminal fashion and there's just so many millions dead as a result of their actions. And, um, and they're really being used to uh, sort of hack into the control system of the world. 
So in other words, they're using the excuse of health to create a global dictatorship. As, as the World Doctors Alliance said way back in about April of 2020, they said that COVID was a sanitary excuse for a global dictatorship. And the WHO, when you look at the, the, the web of organizations connected and the people connected, the, the Bill and Melinda Gates, Pfizer, Moderna, uh, BlackRock, Vanguard, uh, when you look at this huge web, you see that though the WHO um, represents a relatively small portion in terms of asset and money move, though it's a massive amount of money compared to how we all live, but it's the conduit of control. So all these organizations currently have things set up. So the WHO is the way they've hacked into our governments so they can have basically WEF operatives and governments all around the world impose things on us that the WHO is used to impose on us. So cutting off that conduit is one of the best moves we can make in the war right now. And, and I think I really want to make sure I refocus and redigest, and I'll probably bug James, to make sure that as Canadians we can, we can together take the most focused exit, exit or focused action before these deadlines hit us despite all the confusion, because they have so many different paths to the same end, to just cut the WHO out of our country. And, and I think, you know, we face a similar concern with, with the Corporation of Canada. I mean, it's just that we have a crisis of legitimacy because organizations are completely violating what's supposed to be their duty. And I think the responsibility of our health, the responsibility of our security, the responsibility of enforcing real law in our country, you know, that it's required to act in honor and do no harm instead of being caught up in all this gobbledygook that justifies extreme uh, malfeasance. Um, I think it's falling to us. And it's a very challenging time to be alive, an exciting time to be alive. But we've really got to to uh, find out how we're, we're doing that. And the NCI represents one of the biggest steps for me where Canadians said, OK, we better take this in our own hands and start piecing together the truth and making some decisions about how we're going to move forward as intelligent people. And I want to recommend one other uh, potential document. Um, so the World Council for Health, of which uh, both James and I have worked there, I'm a very integral part, um, and, and we do not s support this top-down model at all, this idea that at the top could be Tedros and at the bottom can be every man, woman, child, and leaf of grass being dictated or imposed upon. Um, but we have inalienable rights and we recognize those. And so really it's not for me to figure out what Sean has to do with his body or what James has to do with her body or Michelle with hers. It's actually more my responsibility to reinforce that you have that authority and we're coming to a head. I mean, we're, we're I don't know exactly how we're going to have to fight this, but I think we want to do everything we can to put our foot down and say, sorry, that's not the laws on this planet. And when, if, you know, the further we let this go, the worse it's going to be. I don't want to face, you know, uh, units coming to the doors of, of people's houses and saying, have you taken the latest shot or are you getting in the truck to be quarantined? But that's unfortunately a very real possibility moving forward. And why I'd rather see us just cut the WHO, deal with the crisis of legitimacy, and rebuild some form of legitimate governments, which I think we're doing uh, in, through the NCI and through organizations like the World Council for Health. 
Um, so there's a there's a document called Rejecting Monopoly Power Over Global Public Health. And it's a policy brief that the World Council for Health has put together uh, using a lot of experts. And this document, what this document is great for is if we know legitimate uh, policymakers and, and societal leaders, whether they be in government, religious organizations, civil organizations, unions, getting this information to them, having them say, hey, listen, go to the worldcountsforhealth.org and get the policy briefing called Rejecting Monopoly Power Over Global Health. Because there we've tried to provide the resources to make it very clear to politicians to understand what's going on. Um, and uh, th that, that's, that would be sort of my, my wrap-up statements. And again, really want to thank James as well as the NCI for tonight. Thank you so much, uh, Mark, for your comments, for your participation. Um, Thank you, James, for joining us as well. I'm going to thank, thank a few more people at the end, but I just wanted to wrap up with my takeaways. So one of the things that I took away from uh, James Corbett's testimony was what, to define what is health. So that's something that we need to take personal responsibility for in defining our health and making ensuring our health um, and also James pointing to that none of this is about health, that this is a trade dispute. And if it had been about health, as Mark had said, then it would have been, we would have been promoting things that actually work. I actually wrote a story in the beginning of all this saying that, wow, wouldn't it be great if we brought back participation in Canada, that we actually encouraged people to get out and exercise, to grow community gardens, to eat more fruits and vegetables, to do all the things, to get more vitamin D, to do all the things that would not just lower our chances of catching, you know, uh, uh, any virus, but would actually lower our health costs by reducing 80% of diseases that are lifestyle diseases. So there's a lot of personal responsibility that we can take and we can clearly see that this has not been about health. The other thing that I'm taking away is to ask questions, is to ask a lot of questions. And I think also um, speaking to what Mark said about the opportunity of who we're becoming in all of this that there is a great opportunity for us to rise to our greatest selves, to take responsibility, not just for our health, but for the situation we've created. And I know Buckminster Fuller talked about building compelling alternatives because there's, there's the all the ways that you've shown us tonight, the places we can go to fight what's happening with the WHO, but there's also all the things that have been created in order to build the world that we want to live in. So I want to thank you all for all of that. I want to thank Sean for guiding us through the conversation. Thank you, Garrett, for hosting the space. Thank you to um, our NCI administrator, the Honorable Chess Crosby, who I know was listening in. Thank you to all of you who asked questions and who listened. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. This is such an important conversation, and this is such a great community to be in. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so on, on that note, I'd also like to thank everyone for joining us and we're going to uh, end the call. Thank you so much for listening to this broadcast of the National Citizens Inquiry. It's so important to get the testimonies of Canadians out there. So please share on all your channels 
and invite your friends and family to listen in. As always, you can head over to nationalcitizensinquiry.ca to sign our petition and find out more on how you can take personal responsibility. From the National Citizens Inquiry, thank you. The world is watching.